welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. everyone this morning enjoying the weather it's not on you can't hear me can you hear me yeah good good I'm Dan uh, as Pete said uh, if you've not met me before um, I'll probably hang around the landing afterwards come and say hi uh, especially if you're new Um, we're continuing our series this morning on encounters with Jesus Um, we've been looking at different topics over the last few weeks I hope you found it helpful. We've been seeing how Jesus meets people where they're at, with different backgrounds, different situations, different challenges. We looked at a sceptical student. Uh, We looked at two grieving sisters that were going through the same thing, but Jesus interacted with them differently. He met them where they're at. Um, Last week, Ken covered the insider and the outcast, almost two extremes, one that was quite close to Jesus and one who was an outcast in the community. But Jesus met them where they were at. And I want to explore that further this morning, individually. Where do we meet Jesus this morning? How do we come before Jesus How would Jesus interact with us? And we're all unique, aren't we? We We all have different backgrounds. I made the mistake of asking my family what's unique about me. Um, What makes me different from others? It was a bit slow to begin with, but then they got going. I was like, okay, steady on, steady on. Um, Not always in a good way, by the way. Um, And once they got into the swing of things, they came across a theme that I like to do things differently. And sometimes it goes down all right, and sometimes it's annoying, apparently. Um, So maybe it's younger brother syndrome, I don't know, but I like to do things a different way. So if there's a birthday list, that's too boring to go off a birthday list. You've got to do something a little bit different. Yes, that goes wrong a lot. Uh, I don't like following a recipe, yet that goes wrong as well sometimes. Um, and there's, there's others, I'm sure. Well, they have got a big, long list. Um, I was thinking if, if there was a subtitle in the, in the Bible of how Jesus wept with me, met with me, you know, Jesus met the odd one, maybe, or Jesus met the one that likes to do things his own way. But I wonder what yours would be, you know, this morning. You know, what, what are the challenges? What's the backgrounds? How can Jesus meet with you today? And that's what I want to explore further. We've already seen how Jesus meets with people over this series, challenging them in the ways of his kingdom, showing us how the gospel message speaks to each one of us, how it speaks to each of the people we've been looking at the hope it brings, the fullness of life it brings to those people. And we're going to continue that looking at Mary Magdalene 
and how she meets with Jesus. She's the first person that meets with Jesus after his resurrection. And we know as Christians that the the resurrection is pivotal in the gospel message. We do make more of Christmas, don't we, in terms of celebration. But I think we should make more of Easter. You know, Jesus is celebrating Jesus's life, death and resurrection and the power it gives us. The power to give us a new life, a new creation, a life in all its fullness and goodness, a life that we can enter into now. It's a kingdom that we can enter into now. doesn't mean things are easy. We still live in a broken world, but we start to see how God renews, changes life, lives by the power of the resurrection. So this was a significant moment, and Mary Magdalene is the first one to meet Jesus. And we'll reflect on John 20, 1 to 18. We'll walk through it um, throughout uh, the, the morning. Um, but we're going to look at three things. One is understand a bit more about Mary Magdalene, who she was. We're going to read that, that Mary shows up. She's there at the tomb on the morning of the third day. And we see how Jesus interacts with her and shows, us, shows her the fullness of grace. So first of all, who's Mary Magdalene? Let's get to know a little bit more about her. So she is mentioned in all four Gospels. Um, We read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that she supported Jesus in his ministry by personal means, uh, by financial means. In Luke 8, we learn that she was liberated by Jesus of seven demons. We learn that she was at the foot of the cross when he died with Jesus's mother. We read that she witnessed his burial And here we read that she was the first to witness his resurrection. And Jesus also commissions her first to go and tell the disciples, go and tell others about the resurrection. Magdalene probably comes from uh, her hometown of Magdala, which was on the Sea of Galilee. So inevitably, she would have met Jesus during his ministry as he was going round Galilee, and then followed him. She was certainly a follower of Jesus. She followed and proclaimed him. So she was quite prominent uh, during Jesus's ministry. She might not have had the kind of front seat, um, but she was there for a lot of his ministry. Some... um, Some scholars think she might have had a dark past, some maybe not. We know that Jesus drove out demons for her, from her. Um, So we don't know her full past, but we're going to walk through that. I think it was quite intentional that she was the first to meet Jesus. So let's read. If you've got a Bible, um, turn to John 20. There are Bibles on the landing we were blessed to give a couple of these out on the uh, upper room on Friday uh, to a couple of lads that came in. Um, it is an encouragement when these go and we need to buy more. So if you haven't got a Bible, please go and get one. The words will be on the screen. 
We're going to start with the first 10 verses of John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I missed out a verse. Then the disciples went back to their homes. There you go. (laughs) So we read that Mary showed up. She showed up while it was still dark, before the sun came up. And she saw that the stone had rolled away. For that moment for her, it was another twist of the knife. Someone had taken him away, she thought. There was still no hope, no faith. No, maybe, just maybe he could have risen. We don't read that that crossed her mind. I mean, everyone in the ancient world knew that resurrection didn't happen. More, they they knew it couldn't happen. They spoke of it. In the classical world of Greece and Rome, there's something one might imagine but would never actually occur for them. They never thought it could or would. The Jews began to believe that it could, not all of them. The Sadducees resolutely stuck out against it. They believed that we would all be resurrected at once. I mean, it's a bit like today. It seems unbelievable that somebody would rise from the dead. It simply feels impossible. I mean, would you believe it right now if somebody told you? And it it didn't cross Mary's mind at that point. It didn't cross Peter or the other disciples' minds either. But Jesus never kept it a secret. We read time and time again that he would say that he would rise again. In Mark 8, 9 and 10, he says it three times. In Mark 10, 33 to 34, it says, They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And it was well known, not only by Jesus' followers. His enemies had, had stationed a guard at the entrance to the tomb, we read in Matthew 27. So why weren't all his followers camped outside the tomb on the third day with their party hats and maybe having a feast? ready for for Jesus to come out the tomb. And and their faith wasn't there. 
I don't think. No one was waiting there for what Jesus had promised them. And I think we learn here that faith is impossible without God. Mary clearly loved Jesus. She'd followed him, gave everything up for him, financially supported his ministry. But the first thing she thinks in verse 2 is that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. It doesn't cross her mind that Jesus is alive. In school, I got a trophy when I was about 13 or 14, and it was called the Brazier Cup for Effort in Sport, which I wasn't very encouraged with. It was a trophy, yes, but it was basically saying, Dan, you're not brilliant, but at least you show up. You know, at least you have the effort. And, and of course, my mates found that hilarious. Um, for football fans, I was a bit like the Gary Neville of, of my year. I'd show up, I'd put the effort in, but probably not the best footballer. And I actually kind of think that happens with Mary here. She showed up. She didn't show up with the, the best or biggest faith that Jesus was going to be raised. She showed up. She was drawn to Jesus. And it is the polar opposite of the way the world works, isn't it? We have to perform before we're accepted normally. We have to fit in to be accepted we often feel that we need success to be accepted. But Jesus works in the other way. He just wants you. And we'll come on to that a bit more later. But then we read um, quite a curious thing. So the linen cloths were lying there. Someone has not only taken the body away, they have first gone to the trouble of unwrapping it. Why on earth would you do that? It's like going into our son's room and everything's tidy. Something doesn't feel right. And, and I think we learn here that while faith is given, it's a gift from God. It's also rational. We see the evidence of God's work, God's kingdom breaking into our lives. Jesus had raised, he'd taken off his cloths, his burial cloths, and he'd put them there. And our minds are part of our being, being rational, looking at evidence. We do need to be convinced in our minds that it's true. The Bible talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. It's about our hearts, our passions, our desires, but it's also about our minds. It's about our souls and our spirit, our intellect, and also our strength, whether physical, mental, and spiritual. So we do need evidence. And one evidence that we see here, again, it turns everything on its head, was, was that Mary was a woman. Why would Mary be the first witness to Jesus? In that culture at the time, a woman's testimony wouldn't be accepted in Jewish or Roman courts. If you were going to fabricate a resurrection, 
you try and find somebody with high standing that could be a witness to to um, that, to convince everyone that it actually happened. But I think it was very intentional that Mary was the first. And there were other women, uh, quite a large amount of women, that were first witness to Jesus' resurrection. So what? how could that possibly be? Well, I think it's because Jesus is higher than rulers and authorities. It didn't need to be held up in court. It needs to be held up in our hearts. Whilst in a way it shows that Jesus' death wasn't fabricated, uh, as most early witnesses were women, it does need to be weighed up in our own minds, our own hearts, as we make the decision to follow Jesus. It's natural to have doubts. It's natural to convince ourselves that these things aren't true. The question to answer this morning is whether you believe it's true, not whether it's relevant, or whether it's attractive, but whether you believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is true. If you believe it's true, it becomes relevant, it becomes attractive, and we believe it's transformative. And we see evidence of that as Jesus works his kingdom out in us. Tim Keller, in his book, Encounters with Jesus, invites us to doubt our doubts. He says, first of all, doubt your doubts. Be skeptical of your own skepticism. Why? Because you must realize that you are not completely objective. Maybe you've had a very religious parent whom you dislike, or you've had had a bad experience with an inconsistent and insensitive group of Christians. So to take seriously at least the possibility that it is true, why not consider praying? Why not say, God, I don't know if you're there, but I do know what prejudice is like, and I'm willing to be suspicious of it. Therefore, if you're there, and if I'm prejudiced, help me get through it. Mary showed up. She may not have had the perfect faith, the perfect approach. She may not have initially believed in Jesus' resurrection, but she showed up for Jesus to work in her. Let's read on uh, from John 20, from 11 to 18. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Why is it you're, who is it that you're looking for? Thinking she was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you put him? And I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've 
not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he, uh, that he had said these things to her. I got a little sidetrack when I was preparing this. As I was reflecting on the resurrection and, the, and, and almost the believability of it of, at that time, um, we, we learned a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Lazarus getting raised to life. Surely this was the same. You know, there, there was witnesses to seeing Lazarus raised to life. So surely it's a little bit more believable that, that Jesus is. And actually, I think the answer is no. And, and the answer is quite critical in, well, very critical in our faith. Jesus raised Lazarus back to the present life. Jesus had the power to raise him back. But it was still possible for him to die again. And he would go on to, to die his, his life. Lazarus needed somebody to untie his burial cloths. Jesus not only died, but he went through death to, to bring a new world, a new creation, given a new covenant and a new kingdom, where death to self it's, is defeated and life, life to uh, its fullness could begin. Jesus said on the cross, didn't he? It is finished. He wasn't returning to his old life. He was coming back with victory over death, over sickness, in breaking the kingdom into the world now. We still live in a broken world, but Jesus has brought the kingdom into now through his resurrection we see his miraculous renewal of things now and he guarantees that they'll be to their fullness when he returns. If you've got faith in Jesus' resurrection, it's huge. It has huge implications on your life and huge implications for those that were there at the time. It means what he said was true and it brings the power of resurrection of new life. And note also the change of tone in Jesus. Up to this point, he'd spoken about the Father or my Father who has sent me. He called his followers disciples, servants, or friends. But it's changed. Let's read the force of verse 17. It's, Jesus says, Go and say to my brothers, I am going up to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God, we're now part of the family. He, the new life has, has brought us to be brothers with Jesus and into God's family as his children. We're part of his family. We're part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus interacts with Mary in this way. He didn't condemn Mary's unbelief. He stood right in front of her. She didn't even recognize him at first. He didn't expect faith first, 
without his inbreaking presence. He shows Mary grace. Verse 14 to 16. Let's read that again. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus says one word. She said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus calls her by name. This is her, his reaction to her. He simply says, Mary. And then the realization of Jesus' resurrection came onto Mary. This is why, arguably, Mary was the first Christian. She was the first to believe in the resurrecting power of Jesus. The first to believe and accept new life that Jesus offered her as he was raised to life. Are you feeling grief right now, as Mary did? She was upset. She was grieving her master and Lord. She thought he'd been stolen away. She was broken. And she represents the world. She represents us. The world is broken. The world is grieving. The world's longing for a savior. Maybe this morning you're feeling frustrated, maybe broken, maybe ashamed. Maybe you feel like you don't, just don't have the strength anymore. But Jesus calls you by name, just as he called Mary by name. He calls you by name this morning. His invitation is to accept the life, love and grace that the resurrection offers you. This morning is Jesus standing right in front of you. Maybe you don't recognize him like Mary did, did didn't. Faith in Jesus is a gift. It's given through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Jesus did in defeating death and through his resurrection gives us life, hope and a new creation. Let's stand. In Vineyard, it's, it's common for us to have these response times without any background noise, without any distraction. We com commonly leave it simply to let the Holy Spirit to minister to us in the stillness and in the silence. We often simply say, come Holy Spirit. I don't think this could be more relevant to what we've been looking at with Mary. We're going to have a time of stillness, of silence. Just as Mary showed up at the tomb, this is your chance to show up now. In the stillness of the garden, Jesus calls Mary by her name. And as we stand and seek to respond, I'd like us to stand in the stillness and you can simply say, come Holy Spirit. It comes from our minds, our hearts, our souls, our strength, our being. And as we stand in the stillness, let's reflect on Mary's story. We come with our own selves. We don't have to be anything different. 
with our diverse histories, heritage and experiences, whatever past we have, we've learned from this series that Jesus meets us where we are. So I'll just, before we have a time of stillness and silence, let's learn from Mary's experience. This is a chance to show up before Jesus. This is a chance to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to Jesus as he stands before you and calls your name.